No one is exempt from the ravages of disease. What happens to the life of a physician who's stricken with cancer? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing current therapies for new uses. And my guest is Dr. Richard J. Boxer, Chief Science Officer of Vanserta Incorporated and Clinical Professor of Surgery and Urology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, as well as Clinical Professor of both Family and Community Medicine and Health Policy at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Dr. Boxer and I are discussing his personal journey through melanoma and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Dr. Boxer, welcome to ReachMD. Well, thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. In fact, under the circumstances, it's a really good big pleasure to be here. So tell us what happened to you in September of 1995. Well, in September 1995, we were getting ready to bring our daughter to Cornell University. And the weekend before, which is on Labor Day weekend, we were together as a family and I felt something on my leg, which I had never felt before. I, I looked at it and I saw an irregular black area. You know, you take a shower once or twice a day, you think you know your, your body, but as soon as I saw it, I knew immediately that it was a melanoma. I'm a urologist, but um, like all clinicians, we've seen lots and lots of things. And so I didn't say anything to my family, but I had it immediately excised the next day. And then we went off to drop our daughter off at school. But within um, a short period of time, I knew that it was a melanoma. It was a couple of millimeters in thickness, but not invasive. It subsequently was excised, and then a wide excision was done. Then um, I had, unfortunately, a staph infection in my leg, and within 48 hours, I was in the hospital with receiving IV antibiotics, and from toe to, to uh, hip, I was severely inflamed with a cellulitis. But it was noticed, because I was a physician and I knew so many doctors who were in the hospital, a number of them were coming by, and one of them noticed that my platelets were lower than they, they should be. They assumed it was due to a, a septic episode. But it was checked out later, and I was asked to return a number of weeks later. I actually had some left-sided chest pain prior to being evaluated for the low platelets, and I went to a cardiologist, knowing in my mind anyway that it was not the heart, and the cardiologist suggested that I have an echocardiogram just to make sure because my stress test was fine and everything else was fine, but he wanted an echocardiogram. And so when the echocardiogram was performed by a technician, and we were the only two people in the in the office at the time. Everyone else had left. She said, oh, your heart's fine, but of course you got that big tumor there. I said, what big tumor? And within a very short period of time, it turned out to be a, a 15 centimeter that was under my ribs, and I'm a pretty thin person, but no one ever knew it existed. I subsequently had a number of operations, and it was a lymphoma, so I had simultaneously two different malignancies. I then, um, after seven courses of chemotherapy, had a a marrow transplant, actually a stem cell transplant at the University of Nebraska. Thankfully, I have not had any problems since then, and it, that was 12 years ago. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Boxer of the Medical College of Wisconsin about his personal journey through cancer. So what was your experience with cancer before your own diagnosis? Well, I focused my practice of urology on, on urological malignancies, although um, I started a practice that ultimately had poor persons in it, but you have to see everything. But I really focused on prostate, kidney, and bladder cancers and testicular cancer. 
One of the things that I try to do with my patients, as uh, so many physicians do, is try to give them some of my best efforts, not only um, personally, but also obviously with my hands and, and with medications, and try to talk to them as much as I could. But once you've had the disease and once you've experienced the, the feeling of, of not knowing whether or not you're going to make it, obviously, you tend to understand much greater the concerns that the patient has. So you, you're just on the other side of healthcare. You're one diagnosis away from being on that bed yourself, and suddenly you realize the importance of, of the things that you do on a subtle things as well as the, the large things you do for the patient care. Have your patients noticed any difference in you since you've gone through this? I actually wrote a treatise on my experiences. Ultimately, it was not published, but one of the things I did is I asked a, an independent person, a writer, to interview the pa- my patients before and after the incident I had, the experience I had. And there was not a, a clear difference um, between how I reacted to patients or treated the patients before or after. But something that for me personally is that I realized the critical importance of, of getting results to the patient as soon as possible so that if a person had a blood test or a CAT scan or, or some kind of form of therapy, I would get the results to them immediately so that they would not have a long, painful weekend waiting for the results, for example. So I did my best to alleviate uh, worry, particularly if it's normal studies. I mean, naturally, if, it, if there is something that is wrong and needs an intense discussion, you don't want to do this over the telephone. But I can assure you that I have heard from many, many patients who were relieved that I called, let's say, on a Friday afternoon so that I'm um, telling them that the results were normal and not to worry. And they had a delightful weekend. And people come up to me years and years later still remembering that conversation and thanking me for taking the time to do that. So, And also another thing, and that is that the quality of time that you spend with the patient in the hospital room or in the office is really critical. I mean, the patient is in, lays in the hospital bed waiting for that few moments that the doctor is going to come in to discuss the results of one thing or another. They spend 24 hours in a hospital bed, for example, and wait for two or three minutes or hopefully much longer for the doctor's visit. And it, it be, you really understand how critical every word you say is and every nuance in fact, actually, I found that the patients that were the most appreciative of the care I gave them and the families were actually the ones I could do the least for. It was very frustrating, of course, when a doctor has no surgery or no medicine to help the patient any longer. And so what I learned was that when you don't have medicines and you don't have surgery to give the patient, there's only one thing left you can give the patient, and that's yourself. And if you give, if you give something of yourself... They know it, and they deeply appreciate it. And, in fact, like I said, some of the most appreciative patients are the ones I could do the least for. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I'm speaking with Dr. Rick Boxer of the Medical College of Wisconsin about his personal journey through cancer. So you had a private practice when you were first stricken with cancer. What did you do to protect your practice? How did this affect your partners? Well, yes, I did have a private practice. I had a three other persons that I had hired along the way. I started in 1979, and I was afflicted with the diseases in 1995. And so I talked to my partners and said that I was leaving to be treated, to be cured. And I sent a letter to 
each of my patients and to each referring physician, telling them exactly what was going on with me and brought them into my confidence, so to speak, and told them that I will be back January 5th or whatever I said uh, the following year because it occurred in September. I had surgery in November because it was six or so weeks later after the melanoma that I discovered that I had a lymphoma. And I said, I will return. And I did. I returned. I was paler. I had a whole lot less hair. In fact, I had none. And I was, in some respects, an inspiration for the patients who uh, were going through not similar but somewhat similar situations. And so I used myself kind of as a model. Not I didn't gloat. I didn't do anything particular or talk about it particularly. But my mere presence was that if I can make it, so can they. What lingering issues do you have, if any, and how do they affect your practice as a physician? As I said earlier, I think that I was, I'm more sensitive to the time element, both to talk to patients for a longer period of time and also to um, be sensitive to their concerns and their family's concerns as to how tests are performed and how rapidly the results are available to them. I also became more sensitive to the needs of the family. I think that the patient goes through a lot, but the family seems to go through more. Cancer is not a personal disease, it's a family disease. Everyone in the family is impacted by the diagnosis and the treatment. And so the people who are sitting there watching their loved one afflicted with a disease are sometimes forgotten in the process, but they are going through something that is possibly even worse because they they have no control. They're impotent when they want to be potent. They want to be able to do something. Maybe they've always done something to protect or to to care for a loved one, and now they can't, and they can't do anything about it. And it is maddening, of course, and frustrating and um, emotionally um, destabilizing. And so I learned how important it is to work with the family and, and also how important the family is in the healthcare process. I mean, the nurses are overworked, underpaid, and, you know, they can do just so much, but the family who sits there can do a lot. And so you can really use them to a certain extent to help the patient, and frankly, they want to be used. They want to be able to do something. So how did this experience spur you on to get more involved in health policy? Well, I was one of the fortunate ones who was able to survive and be cured of lymphoma. And I, of course, know from my own experience, but learned a lot about how others obviously do not. And they do not live after the experience of having a melanoma or lymphoma, or frankly, both, or other diseases. And so I decided that when I was given the opportunity to be in a project called the American Center for Cures, I decided that this is an opportunity for me to give back. I was given a new lease on life, as it were. I, was, I went from being terribly sick, about as sick as you possibly can be and still be alive with a bone marrow transplant, and used my energy to, to bring about cures. One of the problems with diseases today in this country is that there are very, very, very few diseases that you can consistently state that they will be cured. I mean, with the exception of some infectious diseases, that's about it. Even though the NIH has been studying diseases and making great discoveries for 50 years, there's still the same number of patients per population who have cancer today as in 1950. So we really haven't made that big of an impact. There are people who worked very, very hard, the scientists and clinicians who worked very, very hard to bring about cures or bring about my personal cure. And there are patients who died going through experimental therapy so that I could live. I'm standing or sitting on, on the shoulders of those people, and so I owe it to them 
And I also owe it to my children and grandchildren to be able to affect a cure for people. So I dedicated my life to be able to help a large population, which is, frankly, humanity. Physicians spend all our lives learning to care for and take care of others. Then at some point, we switch roles and become the patient. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Rick Boxer, for helping us take a look at his personal journey through cancer and where it has led. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that repurposes existing treatments for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.